it's been hard for me to contain myself the last couple days. You all know it's hard for me not to preach. And for years, lineage retreats were so hard for me because I wanted to preach so bad. But I had to sit and listen to somebody else preach. But every sermon that Pastor Paul Shepard preached over the last day has been like an explosion in my soul. And I've been so eager to get to tonight. And I'm so thankful for this opportunity to share I believe God has something to say. Father, we quiet our hearts before you tonight. We open our minds. We lift up our eyes to you, to you whose throne is in heaven. We will not lean on our own understanding. We will trust in you with all of our heart. In all of our ways, we will acknowledge you and you will direct our paths. The scripture says the path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn. Lord, the paths of the righteous are about to get brighter. We thank you for it and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The theme of this retreat is changing lanes. This theme the Lord put in my spirit several months ago when we were envisioning this retreat, but I didn't know what it meant. Now I know what it means. You see, about a year and three months ago, we transitioned out of the fast lane into the slow lane. We had gone through a capital funds campaign in 2020 and 2021. Yeah. We completed a three and a half million dollar build out on a facility. We did a grand opening and moved into that facility and all of that was fast lane, fast lane, fast lane, fast lane. But in 2022, upon moving into the facility, the first thing we encountered was a financial crisis. Yeah. And the financial crisis was so severe that we had to have our finances audited for three years back to figure out what was going on. And then we had to make drastic changes to our financial structure. The longer the short of it was that we ended up losing a total of seven staff members. So our staff went from 10 to three. And the reason why we encountered a financial crisis is twofold. One, in July of 2021, when we started to transition from Emeryville to El Cerrito, People started trickling out, little few more every month, just a handful every month, a few more every month, a few more every month. There was a group of people that just decided not to make the move to El Cerrito with us, which is normal. Anytime a church moves, there's some folks who don't go with you. And that's even if the church crosses the street. But moving to a new city 15 minutes away, we were invariably going to, to lose some folks, and we ended up losing about 20 to 22% of our giving base, yeah. coupled with the pandemic, not to mention that there's some folks who trickulated out during the pandemic. Yeah. One of the effects of the pandemic is that a certain demographic of Christian began to rethink the necessity of the church altogether yeah. and just decided to opt out. Needless to say, we experienced about a 22% decrease in giving, coupled with about a 40% increase in expenses as we moved into a new facility that now we've got to pay a mortgage on the new facility, plus we have huge overhead in terms of utilities and upkeep and maintenance and supplies and 
and all of these things that go into running a three and a half million dollar facility. Siri, I'm not talking to you. And so this hit me really hard. We had our grand opening month in December of 2021, and it was packed to the gills. Every inch of that space was packed. The sanctuary was standing room only. The, the overflow room was packed. The children's church rooms were packed. The upstairs was packed. The downstairs was packed. The youth rooms were packed. We didn't have no downstairs, but it's still packed. It was beautiful chaos. You remember that? Every toilet backed up in the whole building. It was a beautiful mess. And folks were running to the altar to receive Jesus. First-time visitors were running to the altar to receive Jesus with tears flowing down their faces. And I thought, this is it. This is what we, this is what we dreamed of when we planted this little church called Living Hope Christian Center in January of 2004. Yeah. It's happening now. God's given us our space. And we immediately started planning on going to a second service because already we packed out that first service and the overflow room. And I remember Sylvia sat next to me one Sunday after church. She said, what you going to do, PB? I said, what you mean, what am I going to do? And she said, this place ain't big enough. You can't build back into the parking lot. You're going to have to buy that house next door, tear it down, and double the size of the sanctuary. That's the only thing you can do. And I started dreaming about expansion and bigger and more. This is it. This is what we've been waiting for. This is what we've been praying for. This is what God promised us when he sent us to Emeryville to plant a church. And the climax of that grand opening turned into a super spreader. And everybody got COVID, including me. And we started 2022 with online services again. And probably 70% of the people that came to that grand opening week decided never to come back again. So now here I am, we got this huge mortgage and we got all of this overhead and I'm having to have a congregational meeting to let the church know we just let go of five full-time employees and the church finances are stable now, but there was nothing more we could do. And then there were some folks who trickled out because they were close to those individuals that we let go of. Their last Sunday was their last Sunday. Well, if they're, if Daniel's gone, I'm out too. <laughs> and it hit me so hard. And as a congregation, it hit us so hard. It hit all of us. Punched us in the gut. And what we ended up doing, what we had to do, what was appropriate for us to do, is move from the fast lane to the slow lane. Sometimes you've got to move to the slow lane. Yeah, yeah. You can't just continue in the fast lane while you're taking, because something's wrong in the car and you're trying to take care of business in the car. You can't do that in the fast lane. You've got to move over to the slow lane and slow down. Yeah. And for the last one year and about four months, we've just been in the slow lane. Yeah. When you're in the slow lane, you know what you lose? Vision. The only thing that's on your mind is maintenance. When you go from a staff of 10 to a staff of three, you think that staff of three is sitting around dreaming of big things? No, they're trying to juggle what 10 people used to do. Now three people are doing it. 
We've been in the slow lane in maintenance mode. We've been having staff meetings go, going, okay, what else can we cut? What else can we stop doing? What else can we put on temporary hold? What else can we simplify? We've been in the slow lane for the last year and three months. The problem is that if you stay in the slow lane too long and you live without vision for too long and you live in maintenance, maintenance mode for too long, you start to slowly die. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there's no vision, the people perish. When you live in the slow lane for so long that, that there's no sense of futurity, that there's no sense of what's next, that there's no sense of expectation that God's going to do something more, you start to die. And the theme of this retreat, Changing Lanes, is the word of the Lord to us. And this is that word that God is now transitioning us out of the slow lane and moving us back towards the fast lane. Now, that's my preamble. Now let me give you the word. When Abraham was 75 years old, the Lord spoke to him and said, get up out of your father's house and go to the place that I'll show you. And I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. I'll make you a blessing. And through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Yeah. And Abraham obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. He gets to the land of Canaan. He pitches his tent between Bethel and Ai. He calls on the name of the Lord. As he dwells in the land, God begins to clarify the promise. And God clarified the promise that he gave him in two ways. First, he said, I'll multiply your descendants like the sands of the sea. Yeah. He said, look up in the sky, count the stars. Can you count them? Because I can't count them. That's how your descendants are going to be. I'm going to multiply your descendants like the sands of the sea. If anyone could count the stars, they could tell you how many children Abraham's going to have. Wow. And the second promise God gave him is, look north, look south, look east, and look west. I'll give you everything that is north and everything that is south, and everything that is east, and everything that is west. He promised him two things. Number one, he promised him a lineage, an expansive lineage, an uncountable lineage. And the second thing he promised him was increased territory, more space, more land, more territory, more influence. Abraham dwelt in the promised land 25 years before his son Isaac was born. When Isaac was born, this was just the first step. God said, I'll multiply your descendants like the sands of the sea. And in 25 years, he had one. Extrapolate that forward. That's pretty discouraging when God says, you're going to have multiplied thousands, millions, an uncountable multitude, and in 25 years you get one. Yeah. It's kind of how I feel sometimes when after 20 years I look out and we got a handful of folk at our retreat and that's it. Yeah. That's what hit me last year. This is all I got after 20 years? Yeah. I should be thankful. Abraham only had one. And 25 years in, when Isaac was 60 years old, Jacob was born. Yeah. So Abraham had 
been in the promised land 25 years and then Isaac was born. 60 years later, Jacob is born. 85 years since God gave Abraham the promise. When Jacob is 130 years old, he stood before Pharaoh, leaning on his staff and blessed him. After the whole Joseph situation, and Joseph brings the whole family to Egypt. So they moved to Egypt after Abraham's family had lived in the promised land 130 plus 85 years, 215 years. 215 years ago, God made a promise to Abraham. They dwelt in Egypt 430 years. And then through Moses, God brings them out of Egypt. 430 plus 215 is how many? 645. And then they're in the wilderness how many years? 40 years. 685 years after God told Abraham, I'll bless you. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. Through, all, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. 685 years later, God speaks to this young man named Joshua and says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now get up and cross the Jordan, you and this people, and go in and take the land that I swore on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give him as an inheritance. 685 years later, God had not forgotten about the promise that he made to Abraham. And when you look at that 685-year period, what becomes extremely clear is that every individual in that history had a role to play in that drama. And had any one of them decided not to stand in their place. You see, Abraham comes to the land of promise and he, the, the challenge is stay there by yourself. Isaac has to make the same commitment his dad did to stay there. Remember the famine, Isaac wanted to leave. God said, don't leave, sow and reap. And he sowed in the time of famine and re- reaped a hundredfold. Jacob had to flee from the wrath of his brother. Jacob had, what if Jacob decided not to come back? Yeah. What if Isaac decided not to stay? What if Joseph got to Egypt and decided not to serve? What if Moses got out in the wilderness and decided not to heed the voice of God and go back? Every single one of them had a role to play in the unfolding drama of the promise of God. You see, we all think about the promise of God in terms of personal fulfillment. What is God's promise to me? What is God's promise to you? Not recognizing that the promise of God is a global drama that stretches for generations and thousands of years where God, even to this day, is still working on fulfilling promises that he made to the fathers thousands of years ago. And the question is always, are you willing to stand in your place? At the end of his life, Paul says, I fought the good fight. Translation, I didn't stop fighting because it got tough for me. I fought to the end. I've kept the faith. I haven't stopped believing because it got tough for me. I believed till the end. And I finished my race. There's a race that I had to run. 
and I did not stop running that race in the middle of that race. I ran until the end. Now there is in store for me the crown of life, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Wouldn't it be powerful at the end of your life to say that? Not just I'm going to heaven when I die because I believe in Jesus. That's another level. The next level is, no, no, no. There's a crown of righteousness that God is going to award to me on that day. Why? Because I fought my fight and I didn't stop fighting it. Because I kept the faith and I didn't stop believing it. Because I ran my race and I didn't stop running it. The great, the greatest challenge and simultaneously the fundamental skill of the mature Christian is believing God for a long period of time. Despite his apparent silence, his apparent inaction, his apparent failure, failure to fulfill what he told you, And the greatest bane of the spiritual world, of the, of the Christian faith, of the Christian life, yeah. is not adultery or fornication. It's the seepage of faith that transpires in the life of most believers where I suddenly find myself in a place of apathy where I'm no longer believing God to do anything where disappointment has robbed me of my expectation. You see, the enemy is always trying to move you back into the slow lane because he knows the day is coming where, like Joshua, God will wake you up one morning and say, it's time to cross the Jordan, and the enemy wants to position you to look at God and say, too late. We've been waiting for this for 685 years, and we, we, we gave up on this a long time ago. Too late. I don't want it anymore. I'm not looking for that anymore. 685 years later, there was still a Joshua who woke up in the morning after 40 years in the wilderness for somebody else's unbelief. He was still able to wake up in the morning and hear God say, it is now time. And his heart said, yes. Why? Because he hadn't lost his faith. He hadn't stopped believing for great things. He hadn't lost his vision. For 40 years, he walked through a wilderness envisioning that the day would come when finally God would let him enter into the promised land. For 40 years, he trudged a barren desert believing, yes, I know I'm trudging this desert today, but the day will come when God will open the door and take me into the promised land. And when that day comes, nothing's going to stop me. Nothing's going to stop me on that day. Nothing's keeping me out of my blessing. Nothing is keeping me out of my destiny. Nothing is going to stop me from obtaining that which God has promised me. He had to keep that promise alive in his heart for 40 years in the wilderness. You gave up after 45 minutes. Started crying about God not loving you. After 45 days, the greatest bane of contemporary Christianity is the inability to believe God for a long time. Yeah. I mean, 
the average Christian can believe. Hallelujah. I believe. The average, any, any, any Christian can believe for five minutes. How about for 50 years? How about for 75 years? How about for the rest of your life? And this is the crazy thing. If you look at that tapestry of faith, not a single one of them got the whole shebang. <laughs> yeah. But they all had a piece. Yeah. And they, dis they discovered that you have to believe for the whole shebang in order to receive your specific piece. Wow. Do you hear that? Yeah. Notice that God did not simply give Abraham a promise for his peace. He didn't simply say, Abraham, here's your peace. Your, your wife, Sarah, is going to have a child in her old age, and it's going to be a miracle, and everybody's going to rejoice with you. That's it. No, 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 no. He promised him the whole shebang. I'll make your descendants like the sands of the sea, like the stars of the sky. I'll give you every place where the soles of your feet, lift up your eyes and look north, look south, look east. I'll give you all of this land as far as your eyes can see. That's what God told him. God gave him the whole shebang, and what did he get? His wife had a child at a hundred when he was a hundred and she was 80. He got a piece, but in order to get his peace, he had to believe for the whole pie. Did you hear that? God always sets out the promise. Isaac had to believe for the whole pie, even though he only got a piece. Jacob had to believe for the whole pie, even though he got 12 sons. And notice when Jacob's about to die and he's in Egypt, what does he say? The day is going to come when God's going to bring you out of this place. How do I know? Because he swore on oath to my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, that he would give us that land back there in Canaan. So the day is going to come when God's going to bring you out of there. When, but when you come out of here, don't you leave my bones in here. Dig me up and take me with you. Even in death, he's still believing that he's going to enter his promised land. Death can't even stop me from going to the place that God has given. Death can't even stop me from possessing what God has promised me. But for most of us, all it takes is somebody to cut me off on a freeway. And suddenly I've lost confidence. I've lost confidence. I've lost my expectation that God's getting ready to do something great. If there's something God wants to revive in us at this retreat, it's our expectation that God's getting ready to do something great. Because let me tell you something, we tend to think of ourselves as a church in the now, not realizing that we're not just a current church, but we are, we are a particular moment in time and we are a transitional piece between one generation and another generation and we've got to stop and ask ourselves if I don't stand in my place of faith what will be left for the next generation if I just sit back and let the church dwindle and die there will be nothing for the generation to come Nothing for our children and our children's children. We cannot, faith is a legacy that must be transmitted from one generation to the next. It is an inheritance that must be given, passed down from generation to generation. But the only way for me to give my faith to the next generation is if I keep it. Yeah. 
You see, your sons and daughters don't have to see you succeed. They have to see you believe despite failure. Your stuff doesn't have to work. You just have to keep believing when it doesn't work. And that is what the Bible calls faithfulness. You see, the difference between faith and faithfulness is that faithfulness is faith over a long period of time. And we tend to go in and out of faith. I got faith, but I'm not faithful. God wants us to get some faith and then be faithful. Remain faithful. Remain believing. Remain, remain in expectation that God is getting ready to do something. And always listening. One of our life passages of scriptures, Isaiah chapter 60, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But I will cause my light to rise upon you, and the nation shall be drawn to that light. Lift up your eyes on, on high, right? He's, it's that call to arise and shine, for your light has come. It's time. That call to arise and shine only comes to a people that is listening, that is waiting that call, that clarion call will go forth and you will never arise and shine because you, were, you lost your faith a long time ago. You lost your expectation and God is screaming over you going, arise, time, arise, shine, it's time. Your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. But because we're so discouraged and disillusioned, we lost our expectation of any light so long ago that we hung up the phone and turned off the alarm clock and the Holy Spirit's alarm is going off, but nobody's listening anymore. You need to live every day, every day with the expectation, my time is coming. You need to wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, my time is coming. My and it just might be today. And your time doesn't come today. You go to sleep tonight and you say, my time is coming. And it just might be tomorrow. And you wake up in the morning and say, my time is coming. And it just might be today. You and I cannot determine the appointed time. Only God determines the appointed time. He told me years ago, I raise up one man. I put down another. I determine the appointed time. I am the Lord. God does not delegate the determination of the appointed time to anyone. And you cannot hasten the time before God is ready to say it's the time. But what you can do is keep believing in the interim. God has been reminding me over the last few weeks of promises that he made to me years ago. Prophecies once made over me years ago. Things that he spoke to me in the secret place. Two and a half weeks ago, I was in my prayer closet at my home. And in that place, the Lord took me back to my burning bush when I was 16 years old. And he called me and he set me apart. And you know what he said to me on that day? I have need of you. I have need of you. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was the most crystal clear thing in the world. God said to me, a 16-year-old boy, I need you. I have need of you. I have need of you. 
And God came to me two and a half weeks ago and spoke to me and said, I haven't yet even shown you what I need you for. I thought I'd been living it all these years. God said, no, this is just the preparation. You know, after 20 years, you start thinking retirement. (laughs) This is winding down and wrapping up. (laughs) About to go to Florida and get me some, what are those shorts? (laughs) I'm going to sip mint juleps by the beach. And God said, no, no, your ministry hasn't even started yet. It's not even the beginning. It's not even close to the end. It's not even the beginning. I still have need of you. Is your answer still yes? Is your answer still yes? Wake up, man of God. Wake up, woman of God. God still has need of you. God still has need of you. Is your answer still yes? Is your answer still yes? Isn't it time to shake off the disillusionment and the despair? Isn't it time to shake off the disappointment of the last season? Isn't it time to shake off, to, to, to slough off the, the shackles that have been on your feet and on your hands that have prevented you from, putting, from laying your all on the altar and committing your all to God and giving your everything? Yeah. You expected much, but there was little. Believe anyway. Keep believing anyway. Get up again tomorrow and expect much again. Get up again tomorrow and expect much again. Get up again tomorrow and expect much again. So I started asking the Lord, what do you want me to do? Ever since I got out of the hospital three months ago, I am not able to function the way I used to be able to function. I'm a lot stronger now, by the way. I feel great. Working out every day. I'm getting better workouts every week. And I'm, uh, I'm stronger and stronger, sleeping well at night. But I still can't look at a computer screen for more than about an hour to two hours a day, maximum. And if I do, I gotta go take a three hour nap in the middle of the day, or two hours, depending. So, in terms of working, not a whole lot I can do. So, God, what you want me to do? You know what's interesting is that at the time, the moment in which you are least capable of doing something, that's often when God comes and says, okay, now it's time. (laughs) Remember when Moses was 40 years old? I think I could be the deliverer. He was in Egypt. I was separated from my mother's womb. I'm the lone survivor of a generation. I've been schooled in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians. I'm the only non-slave Israelite here. And I know Egypt like the back of my hand. If anyone can lead Israel in battle and overtake Egypt, it's me. I'm ready. Next morning, he says, I'm going to begin my deliverer career this morning. Goes outside and he sees two Israelites fighting. No, first he sees an Egyptian beating an Israelite. He looks this way and that way, kills the Egyptian, buries him in the sand and says, go free my brother. He said, I'm a good deliverer. I'm good at this. The next day he sees two Israelites fighting with each other. He says, brother, stop, stop this fighting. 
And they say, man, get out my face. What are you going to do, kill me like you killed the Egyptian? And then he realizes that he done messed up. His deliverer career lasted two days. Runs for his life, spends 40 years in a barren wilderness. And then God comes to him and says, okay, now it's time. At 80 years old, now you're going to start my ministry? I can't talk anymore. I don't even have all my teeth. The stuff that I, you should have, you should have, you should have let me do it when I was 40, when I had the energy, when I had the strength, when I had the wisdom, when I had the knowledge, when I had the understanding, when I had the bandwidth. God, I don't have any bandwidth anymore. The moment when Moses was least able to perform what God was calling him to perform, God says, now it's time. The place where he was the most beat down and the most empty, your ministry typically doesn't start until you come to the end of your rope. When you come to the end of yourself, when you can't do it anymore, God says, now it's time to do it. How am I going to do it, God, when I can't do it anymore, God says, because now you're not going to try to do it by your own power. You see, if I'd have given it to you 40 years ago, you would have done it all by your power, and you would have messed it all up. Israel would have been so screwed up had Moses led them out of Egypt when he was 40 years old. He would have turned them into Egypt part two. He would have been teaching them Egyptian politics and history. God had to take him out into the wilderness and empty him and make him a shepherd for 40 years. And after he was empty, God says, now it's the time. Some of you feel like, I'm at the end of my rope. There's nothing left in me. I can't give anything more. I can't do anything for God. God says, perfect. Now it's time. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Three words of instruction God gave me for this house. And as I prayed into this retreat and what to share, the Lord reminded me, I already told you. One, set your eyes on the harvest. Two, call the whole church to ministry. Three, raise up new voices. You know, when I've told that to the church, I had people approach me and say, I want to be one of those voices you're raising up. And I said, have you set your eyes on the harvest? You got to do one and two before you can get to three. (laughs) Set your eyes on the harvest. Call the whole church to ministry. And raise up new voices. This is the word of the Lord. And I'll end with this. Remember Pastor Paul read us that passage in Joshua chapter 1, I believe 16 and 17. When the people said to Joshua, whatever you say, we're going to obey it. Anyone who disobeys, we're going to stomp them out. We'll handle it. And then Pastor Paul brought to our attention that passage there in Hebrews 13. There's a a word that's used three times in Hebrews 13 that none of us like, including myself. The word is rule. Hebrews 13, 7 says, remember those who have rule over you. And observe their faith. Imitate their faith. And then verse 17 says, Obey those who have rule over you and submit yourselves, 
for they watch over your souls as men who must give an account. And then Hebrews 13, 24 says, salute those who have rule over you. The word salute literally means to draw close or to, uh, it's, it's like, come here. <laughs> it's like to invite close. That's what the word literally means. So Paul says, first, remember, that is, meditate on or reflect upon the faith of those who have rule over you. And by the way, if you reflect upon, if there's no faith to reflect upon, then you're under the wrong leaders. Your leaders must be examples of faith. If they're not examples of faith, go find leaders who are examples of faith. You must remember those who have rule over you and imitate their faith. There's got to be some faith to imitate. But then he says, obey those who have rule over you. Now that word rule, I looked it up in the Greek. You know what it literally means? It's actually an emphatic form of the Greek word that means to lead. It's too strong for it to say, the word is emphasized so much in the Greek that it didn't seem right to the translators to translate the word who leads you. It bears the connotation of command, something we don't like in the modern world. Something I don't like, I'm uncomfortable with. And we talked a lot in times past about submission and authority and all those things. And I, I honestly got sick to my stomach about it after a while because it's like, this is starting to sound controlling. Like, maybe people think I want to control them. Because I have no desire to control you. I don't want that kind of... People were coming to me saying, who should I marry? I said, the devil is a liar. <laughs> I ain't telling you who to marry. Or somebody came and said, Pastor Benjamin, you're my spiritual father. Find me a wife. I said, mm-mm, mm-mm, because then it's my fault, mm-mm. I'm not telling no woman to marry you. <laughs> if you can't convince her to marry you, that, that, that's between you. <laughs> you come, should I marry him? If the Lord tells you to, you need to pray and make that decision. You're not blaming me for that, mm-mm. I ain't got no time to be making decisions for your life. Let me just... Let me just boil it down and tell you what it means. Here's how submission and authority is supposed to work in the body of Christ. Do you know what the word submission is? Sub means beneath. Mission. Submission means to set yourself beneath the mission. When the people of Israel told Joshua, we're going to obey you, here's what they were saying. God has commanded you to take us into the promised land. We're going to obey you because you are obeying God. That is, our obedience to God is in obeying you, obeying God. But if there's any area in your life where you're not obeying God, we're not obeying you in that area. Because at the end of you, we're, at the end of the day, we're not obeying you at all. We're obeying God. We've simply discerned that God has given you some commands and so we are going to obey the commands that God has given you. Yeah. You're just a middleman. God is really the one that we're obeying. Yeah, yeah. This is what Paul said. Follow me as I follow Christ. Yeah. Christ is leading me somewhere. Follow. But if you follow me as I follow Christ, you're actually only following Christ. Which means even if I'm removed, you keep following Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. And the whole church can say amen to it. Until we start talking about, the Lord gave me a vision for community groups. That the most powerful thing we can do as a body 
is get everybody into community groups. And here's the vision for how community groups are going to function. And about 45% of the people say, you know what, that sounds good. I'll do that for a little while, half-heartedly. And about 55% of the people just, that's not for me. It goes right over their heads. Listen, people, when they think submission is, well, if the pastor tells me to do something, I'll do it. No, the pastor ain't going to tell you to do. I have no time to tell you to do nothing. Submission is getting beneath the mission. And when the Lord gives the man of God or the woman of God a mission for the body, the body submits to that mission. That's the kind of submission that God is looking for. That's the kind of obedience that God is looking for. Not telling you what to do. (laughs) You understand. You get it. Call the whole church to the ministry. This is what God has commanded me. Set your eyes on the harvest. You want to obey God? Set your eyes on the harvest. That's what God has commanded me. Jesus told his disciples, teach them to do everything that I've commanded you. Let me define leadership. Leadership is when you teach people to obey what God has commanded you. For them. Not what God has commanded you for you. If God tells me to sell my house, that doesn't mean everybody has to sell their house. But if God commands me to lead the church in a particular direction, God expects me to teach you to obey what he has commanded me. I didn't make it up. I didn't want to do it. (laughs) I didn't want to go to El Cerrito. Honestly, I didn't want to go to Emeryville. Every step of the way, I'm simply discerning what God has commanded me and then obeying and then receiving the promise of God in tandem with that command and believing you want a recipe for growing in your faith discern what God has commanded you and obey discern the promise that comes in tandem with that command and believe it and keep doing that for a long period of time tomorrow morning I'm going to delve deeper into these three things Set your eyes on the harvest. May I say to you, my brothers and sisters, that the future of our church is almost wholly dependent upon our willingness to, submit, to obey this command. If we as a body, it doesn't matter if there were only 12 of us in this room, because Jesus did it with 12. If we as a body set our eyes on the harvest, there will be a future for this body. But mark my words, if we as a body disobey the command of the Lord, if we do not set our eyes on the harvest, within 15 years, this church will be a museum. And the pastor will be a caretaker and then eventually an undertaker. And that pastor will not be me. Because God has not called me to be a caretaker and an undertaker. God's called me to be a risk taker. And every pastor starts out as a risk taker. But at a particular moment in time, the body ceases to be willing to take risks. And when the body ceases to be willing to take risks, the pastor's job switches and he becomes a caretaker. And his sole job is to care 
for the people who are within the four walls with no expectation that God's going to bring anybody else in. And you might talk about the harvest coming, but you ain't doing nothing to reach them. It's just lip service. And a pastor who becomes a caretaker eventually becomes an undertaker. And his sole job becomes to do funerals. I ain't going to stay here and bury all of y'all. And then eventually you have to bury me. I will be a risk taker or I will go someplace where I can be a risk taker. Amen. Amen. And you should have the same attitude. I'm going to be at a church where we're going to give everything for the kingdom or I'm going to go find one. I'm going to be a part of a church where we have our eyes set on the harvest or I'm going to go find a church where our eyes are set on the harvest. I'm going to be a part of the church where the whole body rises up to pick up the mantle of ministry or I'm going to go find a church where the whole body picks up the mantle of ministry. And if we become a church whose eyes are set on the harvest, if we become a church where the whole body answers the call to the ministry, New voices are going to arise. There's preachers in our congregation that you wouldn't believe how powerful they are. There's prophets in our congregation that you wouldn't believe how accurate they are. There are evangelists in our congregation that you wouldn't believe how how effective they are. There's gifts and callings in this congregation that you wouldn't believe, but they'll never come forth until as a people, as a congregation, we set our eyes on the harvest and we all answer the call to the ministry. This is a turning point. We must change lanes. Before we leave this mountain, we must change lanes or else this will be the end of our church. Our church will not have a future. We must change lanes. We must change lanes or else we will simply sit around and sing Kumbaya while our numbers continue to decrease and detract. And every week, every few weeks, somebody's telling me the Lord is moving us on. The Lord is moving us on. Every few weeks we're saying goodbye to a new family and that will continue until there's only 12 of us left and 12 hairs of head, hairs on each of our heads. (laughs) I ain't doing it. But you know what? Here's the beautiful thing. If we wake up on this mountain, if we wake up, the enemy is scared to death that you're going to wake up. The enemy is scared to death of what happens when this church comes alive. The enemy is scared to death scared to death that we are going to wake up and as a people we're going to set our eyes on the harvest that we're going to wake up and say come hell or hot water we are going to reach this bay area for jesus come hell or hot water we are going to reach this nation for jesus come hell or hot water and that we're not just christians who attend a church we are all full-time ministers of the gospel every single one of us is a full-time minister of the gospel and we all show up signed up ready to go satan is scared to death you look around and you see only a few faces here this is nothing compared to our last retreat our last retreat was maybe three times this big maybe bigger but it don't matter Even if there were only 12 of us in the room, Jesus took 12 men and turned the world upside down. 
12 individuals, that's all it takes, who are sold out, fired up, can turn the world upside down. 12 individuals, it don't even matter how old you are, it doesn't matter how young you are, it just matters that your heart says yes to Jesus, that your heart says yes, and that you're ready to rise up. Set your eyes on the harvest. And so tonight, as Ben comes, or somebody comes to the piano, either Ben or or, uh, this young man over here named Jesse, Whoever, y'all, y'all talk about it. Whoever, I don't care. Good, there you go, Ben. All I'm asking is that your heart says yes to God. Yeah. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean we have to come an extra night a week or something? Is there going to be a... No, forget about that. Forget about that. Forget about that. Two and a half weeks ago, the Lord came to me and said, do you still say yes? Do you still say yes? I still have need of you. Do you still say yes? And it was like the Lord was offering me an out. You want out? You want out? And my heart broke. And you know what my heart began to cry out? Let me serve the bride. Let me serve the bride. Don't take me away from the bride and don't take the bride away from me. I was born for the bride. I say, yes, Lord. I'll serve the bride. I'll serve the bride till my dying day. Let me serve the bride. And I just wept and wept and wept and wept and wept. It was like this overwhelming love for the bridegroom that manifested in a lifelong commitment to serve his bride. I'll serve the bride. And the Lord said, I have need of you. I have need of you. And I wept and I wept and I wept and I wept. But then the Lord said, I haven't even shown you what I need you for. I said, Lord, I say yes. I say yes. This is the thing. God wants your yes before he gives you information. You say yes to the Lord before he tells you what you're saying yes to. That's what an unconditional yes is. That's what an unconditional yes is. Unconditional yes to Jesus is, I don't care what it entails, the answer is yes. Lord, put a yes in my spirit. Put a yes in my heart. I'll serve you. I'll obey and serve you. I'll obey because I love you. You gave your life for me. I'll live for you. You died for me. I'll live for you. I say yes. Remember the resurrected Jesus, the first thing he did was go to the seashore and meet Peter and say, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Feed my sheep. Simon, say yes. He didn't even tell him what it meant to feed his sheep. He didn't even tell him what it meant to take care of his his lambs. He simply asked for his yes. And then when Simon gave him his yes, he said, it's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you everything. He is no fool who surrenders what he cannot keep in order to obtain what he cannot lose. Who said that? Was it Wesley? I think so. He is no fool who surrenders what he cannot keep in order to obtain what he cannot lose. My unconditional yes to God, what it obtains for me is far greater than what it causes me to lose. I just want us to bow our heads right where we are. Saying yes from your heart 
It starts with the decision to wrestle with your no. Wherever your no is located, ask God, Holy Spirit, would you show me? Would you reveal my no to me so that I can surrender it to you? Lord, give me authority over my no that I might have the authority to give you my yes. Say yes to God. I will set my eyes on the harvest. Teach me what that means. I'll wake up in the morning and say, Lord, show me the harvest. I'll walk through the day saying, Lord, show me the harvest. I'll pray every day, show me the harvest. My brothers and sisters, the field is white unto harvest, but the laborers are few. There's only a handful of people whose eyes are on the harvest, and that's why it is so small. But if as a body we say yes to God and we set our eyes on the harvest, nothing can stop us. Nothing can stop us. Answer the call to ministry. Answer the call to ministry. God is calling you. He's calling you to the ministry, the whole church. I know all you wanted to be was a Christian, but God's called you to be a minister. And a full-time minister at that. Not a part-time, not a half-time, a full-time. Doesn't mean I have to quit my job. Heck no. Better keep that job. We need that tithe. But you're a full-time minister at your job. You're a full-time minister at your school. You're a full-time minister in your home. You're a full-time minister in your community. You stay where you are, but you ask God to show you how to become a full-time minister there. Set your eyes on the harvest and answer the call to ministry. Jesus, Jesus, Father, I pray tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus that you would reactivate our faith. But not as a momentary experience, but give us faithfulness. 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 Lord, you're igniting something in each and every one of us up here at this retreat center. But God, I pray that as we go home, that it would not die. That we would learn how to steward it. We would learn how to steward the faith how to steward our expectation, how to steward encouragement, how to steward the strength that you give. Make us stewards of the things of God. Break into the atmosphere right now. Everything that's clouding the atmosphere, Father, right now, draw it, drive it out in the name of the Lord Jesus. The enemy does not want this moment to happen right now. He doesn't want us to say yes. Every devil in hell fights our yes. But Lord, tonight we say yes. We stomp right over that power of the devil and we say yes. Every devil in hell wants us to stay in our little place of apathy, of disillusionment and despair. But God, we say yes to you. We say yes. We say yes. And Lord, we trust that you're gonna deal with our reservations. You're going to deal with our, our obstacles. You're going to deal with the opposition. 
You're going to give clarity. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. say yes to the Lord. We say yes to you, Lord. We say yes. We say yes. We say yes. We say yes. Father, let a yes come forth from our hearts tonight. Let a yes. Yes, Lord. I will serve you. I will serve you because I love you. You have given life to me. nothing before you found me. You have given life to me. Heartache, broken pieces, ruined lives are why you died on Calvary. Your touch is what I long for. You have given life to me. feel pressure to end the service, but I can't because something has to break through in the atmosphere right now. So I, you know what I think we need to do is just begin to pray out loud, like fight it, war against it, break through. There's some hindrance, some hindrance in your soul and in some of us that's just like a shield that's preventing the word of God from penetrating. You hear, you want to respond. I don't know what it is, in the, but there's something in the atmosphere that has to be broken. Church, just begin to pray right now. Just pray out loud. Some of you might even want to just come to the altar. If you just feel led to come to the altar, just come to the altar. Manifest your, your yes. You can just walk right over that power of the devil. Walk right over that power of resistance. Just step right over it. I say yes, God. I say yes, God. Yes to your will. Yes to your way. Yes to your plan. Yes to your vision. Yes to your call. Yes to your call. Jesus, we say yes, we say yes, we say yes. Yes, God, 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 yes, God. I'll go where you tell me to go. I'll do what you tell me to do. I'll say what you tell me to say. I'll surrender what you tell me to surrender. Jesus, I say yes. Come on, don't stop, church. Don't stop. Don't stop, church. Break through, break through, break through. Break through, God. Break through this lie of the devil that wants to stop us in our tracks. Break through this lie of the devil. Just let this word sink in tonight. Let it be let it sink deep into every heart, every mind, every every soul that it might bear fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. 
Let, let our yes resound tonight, God. Let our yes resound. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I, I'll say yes, Lord, yes. I'll trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me with my whole heart, I'll agree. And my answer will be yes with my whole heart. What part of your heart is not in agreement? You got to wrestle that part of your heart down tonight. What part of your heart is not in agreement? Don't submit to the rebellious side of your heart. You make your heart submit to the Lord. You wrestle your heart down tonight until it says yes. David said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within. He wrestled his soul to the ground and said, you're going to bless the Lord. I don't care how you feel. You're going to bless the Lord at all times, and his praises will continually be in my mouth. God, give us authority over our own hearts. Authority to say yes tonight. Authority to say yes tonight. But make it a real yes, not a surface yes that we forget in the morning. Not a surface yes that we forget in the morning. Not a hyped yes, not a temporary yes, but a permanent yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes. Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus,